Good evening, everyone. I'm Joseph Cotto. Uh, this is, of course, the Business and Economic Report. Now, I think I, for those who are only listening, I have to specify that, although people who've been uh, watching or listening to the show for some time, they'll know by just the theme song. Uh, anyway, uh, Tom Sheedy is joining me once again. It's been a few months since we last spoke, and boy, has a lot changed. Tom, how's it going? I'm so glad to be on. Yeah, quite a lot has happened, not only when it comes to just uh, probably both our lives and our business endeavors, but also just with current events as well. Uh, a lot is on both of our plates, and I know we're going to have a hefty discussion about that today. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it, it was going to be only about Zoomers and money, which is always an important topic, one that's going to have growing relevance to America as the years pass, and we certainly are going to get to that. But uh, even though it's the business and economics show, what happened in Israel has to be addressed. It, it's, it's unavoidable. Uh, and it's especially interesting because Tom is the head of Atheists for Liberty, uh, a group uh, that I am on the advisory board of. So uh, this is, uh, you know, what happened in, in Israel is something that absolutely relates to a lack of liberty and uh, a desire for theocratic domination. Uh, so We'll just get right into it. Uh, it you know, it, it's it's interesting because, Tom, I'm sure you've heard over the last few months, there has been this thing uh, on the right. Maybe it's just the online right. That's where I've been hearing it. I doubt it's going on much offline. But a lot of people want to have an alliance between uh, based Muslims and Christians being the future of the American right. And I think that what happened in Israel is a good example of why this was always going to be an absolutely uh, terrible idea. A lot of the uh, based Muslims who are supposed to be the uh, future partners in the American right have had reactions to what happened in Israel that are not at all pro-Western, and that's putting it tremendously kindly, perhaps too kindly. But uh, I, so I think that what happened uh, in Israel is something that more or less has prevented this chatter from going too much farther about the conservative Christian slash based Muslim uh, future of the American right. Anything to say about this? Oh, I have plenty to say about this. Mm -hmm. I, I think we've been too comfortable in the culture wars caring so much about wokeism. Mm -hmm. I think we have been lucky enough to see through the war on terror, whether we personally agree or disagree with it, American policies uh, have very much uh, taken down various different jihadist factions around the world. Our national security definitely was upheld. We definitely had foreign policy blunders. But are we more secure in 2023 in comparison to, say, 2003? Absolutely. Oh. And because of this, we now live in a country from the U.S. perspective to where we don't really think about like 9-11 too much anymore. We don't think about terrorist attacks too much anymore. We think about social justice warriors. We think about free speech being attacked. And I think in so many ways, it made us very, very comfortable in thinking, oh, religion is something that we need to is not something that we need to criticize or talk about anymore. Terrorist attacks and Islamism and jihadism is not something that needs to be discussed anymore. That's so 20 years ago. Let's cozy up to faith now and let's be super politically correct about it and and become like these trad um, Catholic and trad Muslim activists uh -huh. because social justice warriors are so bad. And I think the problem with the marketing in this current culture war is it stems so far into that direction that when a crazy mm -hmm. occurrence like a terrorist attack from people that have used faith 
used irrational beliefs, used religion to justify their positions, a lot of the people who have almost condemned their own reasonable perspectives 20 years ago about religion, all of a sudden they're in shock. And some of them are now luckily and happily, uh, fortunately, going back to making the statements that they rightfully made 10, 20 years ago against these irrational beliefs. People need to understand, you know, Islamism and jihadism is still going to be around for a long time. They'll be involved in various different factions in various different countries in the decades to come. The foreign policy landscape will change. But as Christopher Hitchens said, religion poisons everything. That isn't going to change. The context of what culture war we're in, that's going to change. But the main facts of what we are dealing with, that isn't changing at all. We need to be real about, about that. No matter if we're trying to cozy up to conservatives or cozy up to liberals. And it's about darn time that people understand that without worrying about if they're going to get money from the conservative movement or not. It's interesting because America has become far less religious than it was 20 years ago. But uh, and it's the same is true for the American right. But there are factions on it that were trying to stake out some sort of religious future or at least religion flavored future. And they thought that the uh, Muslims uh, who are anti-woke would be uh, ideal partners. And you did mm -hmm. mention that obviously the focus on anti-SJWism and anti-wokeism. It goes without saying neither one of us are fans of uh, social justice warriors or woke activists but uh the focus on opposing these two groups definitely blinded quite a few on the american right to uh the reality that just being somebody agrees with you in your critique of these uh miscreants doesn't mean that your newfound would-be friends are not miscreants themselves and uh, this is something that unfortunately people tend not to wake up to until something absolutely uh horrendous happens such as what took place in israel yeah yeah and we're seeing it happen live and when you look at people's x feeds or twitter feeds it's very telling to see who is consistent with their principles and who has been consistent with their values over the last few decades in the age of the internet and who has jumped ship in the name of just you know supporting the next trend that was happening look at sneeko for instance uh, for anybody who knows sneeko he's a very famous uh, culture war kind of guy. He was kind of popular in the manosphere for a long time mm -hmm. with going on all of these gender-related culture war podcasts. He's a well-known streamer. Um, he's he's definitely very active when it comes to the, the woke sort of debates. Well, Sneeko is one of those people that all of a sudden convert, converted to being this based Muslim around, mm -hmm. what, a year, year and a half ago. And as of yesterday, uh, after news about the attack started spreading across the United States and spreading across the internet, uh, you can actually, any one of you can pull up his Twitter feed. This is just a lovely example. Um, his just tweet was the Palestinian flag. Now, uh, I want to make something very clear. Um, I am not somebody who wants to debate or is going to be debating Israeli foreign policy, nor the policies of Palestinians. I want to be very clear. Yes, let's have some nuance. There are people in the, these Palestinian territories who are peaceful, who are not part of Hamas, who didn't orchestrate the attacks. This is going to be a very messy conflict where innocent people in Israel and in these territories are going to be killed or severely hurt, captured. It's extremely unfortunate. I want to make that very clear too. So yeah, but we still simultaneously have to be honest, intellectually honest at which side is better. We have to be intellectually honest at what is actually happening here. And it's just, it, it's it's sort of a wake-up call that, that we shouldn't be so stuck in the confines of one culture war, because culture wars always change. 
Absolutely. And I'm someone who has voiced criticism of Israel over the years. Sometimes it's too uh, rich for certain people's blood. Uh, but at the end of the day, you know, there, in Israel, we'd be able to have this conversation, whereas in Palestine, we'd be in prison, maybe killed for it. So, I mean, yes. that, that, that's, that's, the, that's the basic difference. And you can't, no one can argue with that difference. It is what it is. Uh, when, the, the, when the differentiation is that stark, there's clearly one side that's worth having and another side that's not, which is not to say that either side is perfect. But uh, the idea that the right should support Palestine was never widely held in the United States. It's virtually non-existent in Europe. But uh, some Americans were in favor of it because they really hate American foreign aid to Israel and they thought that supporting the Palestinians would be a good bulwark against this and a lot of these people dislike Jews on the whole. Most of them do, in fact. But as we see in uh, Palestine, the, the Palestinian terrorists, the Hamas uh, terrorists, made no differentiation between Israeli Jews and European tourists in Israel. They uh, killed or kidnapped and certainly raped uh, them all. So these people who are engaged in this barbarism, they are not, uh, they, they see no difference between Israel and the West. Uh, the, to them, Israel, the United States, uh, the United Kingdom, Australia, uh, Germany, New Zealand, all these places are interchangeable. They really hate Israel because it's a Jewish state, obviously, but they view it more broadly as uh, a symbol of Western power. And Israel basically is a proxy for the West in the Middle East. Uh, yes. It is uh, as close to a Western countries will ever get in the Middle East. Another place that was very Westernized was Beirut. It was the Paris of the Orient. And uh, this, the people with a, a similar mindset to Hamas laid waste to that for the same reason that Hamas wants to lay waste to Israel. It's not very difficult to figure out what's happening here. It must have been happening for some time. So I think a lot of people on the right, not a lot of people, it's just a certain faction of the right, that they actually decided to come pro-Palestinian, that's basically uh, an anti-Western position, uh, let alone an anti-Semitic one. Uh, and you can see just how absolutely destructive it is with what happened in Israel, where these terrorists make no distinction between, you know, someone who's Jewish and who's not, someone who's born in Europe and who's not. Uh, they simply see anything that resembles Western culture as being uh, adversarial towards their interests, and they attack it in some of the most barbarous ways imaginable. Absolutely. Um, and, and and this is what, this we, we should really go into our, look into ourselves and see why we hold the positions that we hold when it comes to certain social issues and cultural issues. So the main reason, one of the big reasons why um, you Islamists and jihadists don't like the West is they see the West as degenerate. They see the West as as instilling values that's going to halt the Islamic world to its knees. This is why Osama bin Laden in the late 1990s was very concerned about U.S. foreign policy, but also just the United States existing in general as a power. You know, even if the United States held an America first perspective in the late 90s and wasn't more in the end of history kind of vibe that did have at that time, it doesn't matter. These people still want the West to burn. Regardless of, you know, what politicians are in power, what party in the U.S. Congress or the European Union or the British Parliament are in, we would still be in the very same situation that we're in now. Uh, I have not been paying attention to every single tiny update of what's happening in Israel. I'm trying my best now. I'm trying to get caught up. But I did see a, I believe, a USA Today or a Today Show a YouTube clip earlier today where now similar attacks are being carried out by Hamas and Hamas allies in Lebanon. Yes. And so this is there's a big fear that this is going to stir up more and more and more. And for all the people on the right 
who 10, 20 years ago had a very anti-Islamist, anti-jihadist view, but all of a sudden cozied up because the marketing of their certain culture war niche changed to where they want to call the West degenerate. And now all of a sudden they're in this kind of weird roadblock where they're like, well, all the think tanks I'm aligned with are condemning Hamas and condemning the attacks, but I'm calling the West degenerate and using my holy book filled with nonsense to justify my current hatred of the West. Hmm, what's going on? You marketed wrong. That's going. what's going on, buddy. And I want more and more of these current Culture War 2.0 figures to wake up and realize, hey, maybe us being too soft on faith was a bad, bad move. Maybe we can still be against woke people because a lot of the woke people are defending the attacks too, while still remaining ideologically consistent with our secularism, with our advancements, with our defensive enlightenment values, and with our love for our nation, even if our nation has flaws. It, it, it's amazing. You talk about what's happening in Lebanon. Uh, what's going on in Lebanon for some time, I began to touch on it before, is that the uh, Lebanese Muslim population has been at war with the Lebanese Christian population. And the Lebanese Christian population was heavily westernized. Uh, it was heavily influenced by French colonialists. That's how Beirut became the Paris of the Orient. And it, it actually got to the point where you would not necessarily know the difference between a Lebanese Christian, a Maronite, and uh, a Frenchman. Uh, he, obviously, the Maronites would be a little bit more olive in complexion, but so are a lot of people from the south of France. So it, it's really fascinating how there was this uh, Western uh, or uh, you know very close to Western civilization set up in the Middle East, and it, it's been the subject of constant attacks and destruction from people who basically want to live in the seventh century. Uh, and it's this overarching theme that just doesn't stop, whether or not. Israel's a Jewish state, uh, this is going to continue because the people who want to topple Israel uh, have a certain ideology. They have a vision. Uh, and that's what a lot of people in the West don't get. Uh, the jihadists have a vision. Uh, and it's a horrendous vision. It's, a, in many respects, you know, a vision so crazy that you laugh at it. But to them, it's very serious. Uh, and they're willing to die for that vision. And that's why you see what's happening uh, transpire. And uh, in fighting wokeism and fighting social justice warfare are very important. But at the same time, if you team up with people who sympathize with these jihadis, what's going to happen is that you're going to be subsumed by something even worse than wokeism and SJW ideology. Uh, it, it's, the, it's the old, you know, there's the old saying, my enemy's enemy is my friend. But uh, that's not necessarily true uh, if your enemy's enemy is also your enemy in some foundational respects. Yeah. And now we're seeing the consequences of more of this stuff and the marketing of these culture wars. You know, I remember, uh, what was it, Michael Knowles uh, hosted in the Daily Wire. He made a statement, I believe this was back in May or June of this year, saying that we as a country or we as a civilization need to go back to the year 1220. Not 1776, not even like the old conservative statements of the, you know, we got to go back to the 50s, you know, the, the the stereotype of what the left is saying right-wing people, you know, want us to go to. 1220, that is the same type of civilization right now that we are seeing in the Middle East right mm -hmm. now. And this is a consequence of us only focusing on the woke. This is the consequence of us only obsessing about one particular topic. Um, this is the, you know, people say, oh, secularism has gone too far. Modernity has gone too far. Liberalism or Western civilization has gone too far. What about, what about the counterculture against some of these extremes going too far as well? If, if one side 
is meant to have a limit and a line drawn in the sand. Why can't we make the same claim for the other? You know, because it goes against the marketing. Because it's not the hip thing that the producers want us to say at the moment. So we have to be quiet, Joseph. We can say it in five months from now. We can say it maybe five years from now when the trends change. But allow us to say it now and don't bring it up to us when you find the old YouTube clips of us saying it years ago and you bring it up in current conversation. You can't do that. You can't do that. You're not allowed to do that. We ha You have to let us get away with it and cause more of a problem because, well, they're telling us to do it, so we got to do it. Yeah, it's very interesting because people can, and I'm one of them, you can make a lot of uh, critiques about the modern West. There's a hell of a lot to critique. Uh, but at the end of the day, and obviously you you, you uh, critique it as well, but at the end of the day, if you want to see the difference between uh, something very primitive in the modern West, you can see it by looking at uh, Palestine, which is, it looks the way it looked basically hundreds and hundreds of years ago, and Israel, literally just across the border, where you have these very advanced cities and uh, suburbs that look like they could be in uh, the U.S. or Australia or Canada, uh, and you have people living a very functional life, whereas in Palestine, literally just a stone's throw, uh, people are living uh, as they did in the seventh century. And what that means is, you know, uh, uh, girls getting married as young as seven years old, uh, people having the death penalty enforced against them by law if they leave Islam, them not being able to critique Islam because it's blasphemy, in which case they could also be killed. Uh, it's this really uh, bizarre clash of civilizations. And people who say that they want to go back to a time before modernity themselves would probably be destroyed if that happened because but they're a more influenced by modernity than they know. But b uh, the standards of the past were so rigid that they would be more or less anybody could have anything bad happen to them because there was any reason for anybody to do anything bad to anybody else, and they had the power to do so. It was might makes right, and religion was used as a justification for this. So it's it's really scary uh, that some people would not realize this. Although people are so ignorant today of history that I guess it's somewhat understandable. But this is the truth. Yeah, it is the truth, and everybody knows it, but. We're in the current culture war, and so we're not in the next culture war yet, and so we have to abide by everything. We have to all be super trad, and we have to pretend that everything in the past was awesome and everything today sucks and is super bad. Um, and that's that's essentially what's happening. Um, what I what I kind of like, and I actually just made a tweet about this uh, recently before we uh, before we went on the air. Uh, what I basically like is that. I think some of the anti-woke people who are who've only talked about the book, they're kind of waking up and realizing a few of them that uh, maybe that was just that maybe that was a bad strategy. Maybe those new atheists from 20 years ago that, that we claim dropped the ball and went too far. Maybe they didn't go too far. Maybe they didn't go far enough. Maybe, maybe just maybe if we allowed the new atheists to do something away from woke stuff and didn't just put atheism and wokeism together as the same problem. Maybe we can realize that those atheists who were talking about religion the same way they were talking about wokeism, maybe those atheists have a point. Maybe we need to platform those people more. Maybe we need to actually go back to kind of a new age of enlightenment again. It's like, I've, I, I don't know if I'm mapping this properly, but this is kind of how I've been thinking about this. It's kind of how we were in the 19th century when it came to music. There was this love in the late 18th century going into the early 19th century of enlightenment. And then the same claim was made 
uh, that, oh, the Enlightenment go goes too far. The Enlightenment is so bad, so horrible. This idea of liberalism, talking about small L liberalism, everybody, mm -hmm. is so horrible. We need to go back to tradition, kings, and godliness. The same kind of stuff you're seeing on certain podcasts right now. What happened? Well, we entered this kind of romantic period where we thought, oh, we needed these superstitious beliefs. It is in ourselves. Well, the German Empire, you know, became an existent factor. Uh, various kind of movements uh, that ended up nearly wrecking Western civilization actually sprouted up. All the problems that we ended up realizing towards the second half of the, or the, the middle half of the 20th century, uh, you know, it, it's... We, we ended up realizing that that this kind of romanticism and sugarcoating of barbarity and superstition and I, I know you you call yourself a monarchist but like this kind of absolutism like dictatorship style sure. um uh is bad and is horrible and some people realize wow we dropped the ball on that and i think we're we're i i hope we soon enter a new exit from this kind of romanticism of fairy tales again. I feel like 20 years ago, new atheism and this idea of classical liberalism was really huge. And then it died out and then we kind of entered, we're entering this kind of religious apologism, romanticism stage. And what I want these attack, what I want the messaging of what these attacks to accomplish is, there's a consequence for that. Let's go back to how things were 20 years ago. Let's, let's, let's now reinitiate the next loop. What is it gonna be culture war 3.0? Bring it on. Because I, I think we've had enough of this romantic, romanticism of barbarity. Yes, modernity can go too far, but also um, people living in huts and dirt shacks, killing innocent people in the name of fairy tales is a massive, massive, massive problem. And uh, you can kind of deal with woke people while also understanding that people killing innocent people in the name of their superstitious beliefs is also a problem. It's not a middle school conclusion I'm coming to, guys. It's not an oversimplification. It's simple because it really is simple. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, it's interesting because there has been this romanticism of traditionalist religion, as you uh, brought up on the American right. And it happens as the right is less religious at any time in U.S. history. But I think this is a romanticism, a romanticism of a more traditional age, but without the real desire for devotion to these doctrines, which would have to be the case in a society dominated by these doctrines. I think a lot of people are just so dejected, understandably, by what's become of the West, that they are looking to cling to anything that's uh, exotic and cool and bright and shiny as an object. Yes. Uh, and, and they cling to this stuff without realizing that something that's bright and shiny could be so hot that it literally <laughs> peels the skin from your bones. Uh, and that's what happens when a lot of people start flirting with something like, you know, based Islam. Uh, that, that, that's exactly what happens. Literally, people have their flesh parted from their bones uh, in, a, in a bomb blast. Uh, so it, it's, 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 it's absolutely uh, insane that this would be happening. Uh, but it is, although I think that what's taking place in Israel uh, has moderated this, no question. Uh, and I would hope that people learn from the uh, absolute 
savagery which just transpired there uh and they learned that uh going down the road of uh, quote-unquote base traditionalism is not necessarily a good idea now that's not to put all traditionalism on the level yeah. of you know the jihadis believe but at the end of the day uh people here were getting very desperate for something to define themselves with in opposition to what has become of the west and it is good to see them see the reality of uh traditionalist islam yeah and I, I there are plenty aspect of Western traditions that I admire. I very much like the view of the, you know having a family, caring about your local community. Um, yes, not everything has to be reduced to atomized individualist particles, and you living some kind of meaningless corporatized existence. I, I understand that concern. There are, there are some rational traditionalist arguments that I I personally have seen that I I respect. I really do. But resorting then to all the problems that led us to discarding all of the traditionalist stuff 20, 30 years ago, you know, going back to all the bad parts, that's not going to change anything. In fact, that's actually going to get people more away from supporting your, you know, initial maybe good message about why tradition and why I love a, your country and your homeland is great. Absolutely. Uh, and we'll see what comes of things. But uh, definitely, I, I think that some uh, cold water has been thrown on the base Muslim slash Christian alliance for the American rights future. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Me too. It had to happen. It's just an, an absolute pity that it happened, that, that what took place in Israel is was the catalyst for people to wake up to what the hell is going on. By the way, before we get to uh, economics, uh, th th there is, uh, I suppose, something interesting about like Michael Knowles. Uh, and, and, you know, he's not alone. He's just an example. But I do wonder how seriously these people take themselves because, I mean, he is a former stage actor. Uh, he is of Italian background, uh, but his last name is Noel, obviously an Anglicization of something else. Uh, and there is something to him which, to, to me, seems very uh, uh, inorganic. Uh, that, that, that's a nice way of putting it. And I, I just wonder whether or not these people are really all that sincere in their advocate in their uh in their advocacy for this you know trad life like him talking about going back a thousand years uh it, it's it's really uh it's hypocritical yeah. it's entirely hypocritical so I'll, I'll go into this story real quick sure. um i remember meeting michael knowles in person for the first time in 2019 so this was the turning point usa student action summit they had it in december in west palm beach at the time before america fest became a thing two years later mm -hmm. um and uh i was very much starting to get into the american right i was a new atheist creating this organization called atheists for liberty i saw how wokeism and far leftism and all these different forces took down the atheist community i saw how islamism and, and wokeism were threats to western civilization and so i went to an emerging secular right-leaning movement and you there were a lot of atheists even at the turning point conferences even back then emerging voices there and i went up to knowles who did a wonderful talk with my friend andy no who's an atheist mm -hmm. and andy no admitted that he was more secular uh, in one of his speeches with knowles in the front of the stage uh, at one of their breakout sessions there. And uh, I went up to Michael Knowles. I appreciated him for all the positive remarks he gave against like Antifa and their lunacy. And, and you know, he was defending Andy No there. And Michael Knowles, I told him about Atheists for Liberty. He said, that is wonderful, Thomas. We really should see the, the, the creation 
of an atheist right in this country. And he said, and he told me the same thing again a few months later at CPAC 2020 when AFL premiered at CPAC in Washington. He said, oh, that's awesome. Maybe I'll come by the AFL booth and say hello. He, he didn't, but he, if, if he didn't even have that view at the time, or at least thought that that was the view of how the right was going at that time, he wouldn't have said that remark to me. You know, he wouldn't have been in photos with me. Sure. Uh, and you can see the messaging change within a span of two to three years. I think the Groper Wars actually had a massive part to do with it. Nick Fuentes, I'll, I'll, I'll credit him because a lot of people don't credit him. And I'm not a fan of his at all, by the way. Um, he does not like me. He does not like AFL, but I will credit the enemy when mm -hmm. it's due. He was responsible in many ways for having so, so many of these conservative influencers and media hosts and think tank hosts and even some politicians going and becoming like this trad Catholic kind of guy that Michael Knowles sort of became. Um, and he was, I'm not saying he was, he's not actually Catholic. Um, he was, he claims to be a former new atheist from, from those years ago. But one of the things that I specialize in, and I've always specialized during my time in politics, right? From my late high school years going into, uh, going into, you know, who I am today is how can you smell, smelling the political correctness, in the culture wars on the right and the left and there's so much hypocrisy on the right these people claim to be against degeneracy and secularism and atheism not that any of them are paired together but you'll have these people hooking up in hotel rooms at conferences you'll have them over drinking you'll have many of these people doing drugs and you'll have so many of them on camera say one thing we're off camera they do another thing half of these producers that are behind the scenes that are some of the staffers of some of these media people they're atheists We've oh. tried to get ourselves booked on a few of these shows, and some of them are like, oh, my God, like, I totally approve of that, but we just can't have you on because the bait, we, we don't think our audience will like you or this base won't like your messaging as much. Or, you know, we're totally on board with you, but we got to we gotta just put up the same old shtick for the base or for, for the boomers or for the people who give us money or the people who donate to us in the conservative movement. And mm -hmm. it is just you, you see – you see the difference light and day. Secularism and atheism when the cameras are off, this trad grifting theology when the cameras are on. And it's going to continue this way year after year after year, even as we continue to win and win time and time again, and as more people in the West and the United States on the left and the right identify as atheists and agnostics and non-religious Americans. That's a very interesting point to bring up. I mean, what secularization is continuing, it's going to continue. That's just life. Uh, but you think it will also, well, you, what you think will continue parallel to this is that there will be this sort of hypocritical trad stuff going on among right wing uh, celebrities. Why do you think that will continue if the market base for such a message is uh, shrinking considerably? The market base is shrinking, but human lifespan is increasing. So <clears throat> while late millennials and Gen Z and eventually Gen A in the next 10 to 15 mm -hmm. years, once they become adults, once they continue to rise and rise, the right will continue, of course, to become more non-religious. But the human lifespans of the, of the silent generations, the baby boomers, and even some of Gen X that are very religious, like you know, God bless everything, their lifespans are increasing. And so you can even look back at some of the people who left uh, Nick Fuentes and the Groypers, for instance. A lot of them admitted that the reason a lot of them went so in on Catholicism, on the messaging, and so and a lot of them really are theocrats. 
like at the core. They want Catholic monarchy everywhere. They want theocracy everywhere. But a good chunk of them admitted we mainly did a good chunk of the over-Catholicism messaging because we wanted to fool boomers or we wanted to get boomers who were just so in with Jesus, Jesus, everything to donate money to us. The, the, the base of people that are actually going to all these events and and filling more and more of these places in politics, they're atheists, but a good chunk of the donor class, the people that still want to cling on to power, they're religious. And so that even the people that are actually secular, some of them will lie about their views in order to get that religious money. So they'll stay in the hip of the movement. They'll claim to be super duper secular and hip in the free exchange of ideas. And they'll, and they'll platform atheists on their show if they criticize gender ideology or wokeism or Black Lives mm -hmm. Matter or whatever. But then once the actual conversation of the atheism, of the non-religiosity happens, they'll platform an atheist to talk about gender theory. And then they'll bash that guy's atheism in the next segment of the show, mm -hmm. all because of the money. There is a small segment that I think is genuinely religious, do, does genuinely believe it, is not in the grip. Those people at least have my respect because they're not faking it. Yeah. But I think a big portion of these people are faking it or are at least maybe religious, but pretending to be even more religious than they really are just to keep that donor base of boomers going, to keep the money train going. And I think we can we can be respectful to religious people. We can be respectful to Christian allies in the fight against wokeism and social justice nonsense and saving Western civilization and protecting free speech and 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 having these people help us in that broad fight while staying consistent as to who we really are. And so many people just don't want to do that in fear that they won't get that money. Trust me, if you have to choose between secular people who are in favor of America and Western civilization or woke people. The religious boomers are going to choose the secular rational people. Sure. It's not cool for me to say that right now. The old the old clips of me saying this, they'll be cool in five years. Like Thomas Sheedy and Joseph Ordcato, they said it before it was cool. Well, once it becomes cool, we're gonna be the ones on top. And so it's just a you know, it's just a process where we're counting down until we become the cool ones. And then this nonsense of us having to pretend to be more religious than we really are, it's gonna go away. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I think that the rise of the uh, nuns who are not uh, affiliated with any theological movement, they don't call themselves atheists or maybe not even agnostics, but they just have a general indifference toward religion. That's the future of America and the U.S., right? But there is this pressure to hold on to the past, as you've been discussing, which is really uh, unfortunate, to say the least. Uh, and I think it will continue for a while although eventually the, the water will crash over the floodgates in terms of the uh, age-related demographic change, and that will be that. Uh, now, I, I think, you know, I really keep on moving on to economics, but there, there are interesting things that come up given what you say. Uh, do you think that Fuentes, I mean, you talked about some of his followers, do you think he, since you do have some experience in dealing with his movement, do you think he really believes what he says? Uh, I mean, I've heard a lot of different things about that. There's basically, I mean, there are different camps, but they boil down to two uh, coalitions of thought, if you will, about it. One says that he's a total hypocrite, closeted gay guy who is into all the degeneracy that he uh, publicly opposes. Then the other camp says, no, he's a very sincere trad cat who's trying to live out his values as best he can, even if he's flawed in doing so. What do you think is really going on, Fuentes? Because unfortunate as he is, he is absolutely uh, an influential thought leader among the Zoomer right. Of course. And I think what we need to understand is it doesn't matter what conclusion it is. He could be faking it or he could be real. The problem is the message itself. So 
he he could he could be like privately doing all these things that he would consider to be degenerate, unholy, atheistic, secular, but he's doing everything he can to take down what we know as Western civilization today. He is he is totally in line in many ways with the very Islamists and very jihadists that we are fighting, and uh, you know there's no way to really tell unless his career ends or unless we get some 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 kind of leaks that are so good so damning that we will know which which of the two options you know they really are for nick uh, until then we have to do whatever we can to fight the message we have to do whatever we can to keep the grind going um or else america as we know it i i don't want to say some boomer talking point like uh, you know, i really do genuinely believe it i really do believe that america as we know it will cease to exist um, you know, it's not going to be some election that you need to vote in now to save America. It's not some kind of old message to, to save it. We need to fight back against these kind of barbaric ideas. The American experiment is very, very, very young in the grand scheme of humanity's lifespan as a species and uh, civilization's life, uh, lifespan or time span right now. Um, and we could either be in the beginning of an amazing peak where we had to deal with the last remnants of this nonsense as a species, or this could be the end of Western civilization, of, of classical liberalism, of, of, of the American experiment as we know it, and we're just going to go back to us being totally barbaric, totally theological, um, totally believing in faith-based garbage uh, for, you know, however long humanity continues to exist before it ultimately dies out. I want us to have this moment where we continually go up and up and up and progress uh, as a civilization. Progress, by the way, again, lowercase p for progress, not leftist progressivism, blah, blah, blah. You know, let's be real here. We're at a crossroads and we have to make a decision. Um, are we going to, are we going to, uh, you know, just be safe and, work within the confines of whatever culture we're within to stay on messaging and to appease the donors or are we going to fight back against what people like nick are pushing either if he's faking it or really doing or really believing this i say we got to fight i also like i say on every podcast i go on especially ones that i'm on for a while i go on tangents but i think my tangents are pretty good ones guys if you agree definitely give us a follow and continue to support joseph too I can't hear you for some reason. I don't know if you can hear me. I'm trying to see if I can I can hear you. Hopefully no other glitch happened. Let's Hopefully see. No other happened. Do you hear me? Oh, okay, I can hear you now. You can hear me now. Great. Yeah, sometimes it happens for whatever reason that might. Audio goes out. I have no clue why, but uh, anyway, uh, I, I, I am uh, back. So I was going to say that uh, looking at uh, the economic uh, aspect of our discussion, uh, you know, there is so much to focus on with Zoomers, and you are a Zoomer. I'm a millennial, in case anyone's wondering. Uh, but it, it goes without saying why Zoomers are of such importance economically, because they are the future of the country. And and uh, they have a lot of worries, uh, and it's understandable why they have these worries. 
the first item comes from Forbes. It was published on the 29th of September. It's titled, Gen Z Faces Financial Challenges, Stress, Anxiety in an Uncertain Future. It begins, I'm obviously not going to read the whole thing. Uh, Gen Z feels substantial anxiety and stress about jobs, long-term financial stability, and major life steps, such as buying a home and starting a family. The current economy and job market are primarily sources of uncertainty for this generation, according to EY's 2023 Gen Z segmentation study. Seeing the wave of massive layoffs in late 2022 through the first half of 2023 has created feelings of distrust toward employers and job insecurity. Consequently, the EY data revealed that Gen Z's anxiety levels are at an all-time high. The study captured insights from more than 1,500 participants across the United States, born between roughly 1997 and 2007, aged 16 to 26 years old, to track Gen Z's personal and professional interests and their outlook on mental health, trust, technology, career, and lifestyle ambitions. Uh, Tom, does any of this surprise you? No, it unfortunately doesn't. If you look at any TikTok meme as a Zoomer, or watch uh, any videos from any streamer-type influencers who talk about economic issues, they definitely bring this up, at least the ones that are outside of the span of different think tanks and, and, and nonprofit organizations. So if you watch, like, Shoe on Head, uh, I recently watched a video by, like, Lauren Southern, where she talks about this, this, this housing issue for young Canadians in, in popular Canadian cities. Um, it is just something, unfortunately, that is, that is going to continue to be a, a big topic of discussion. Um, I think there are two points that that um, that that need to be made when it comes to this. One of them goes into more of the social issues. Um, I, I know that there's a big, I know that there's a big discomfort that there are some people who grew up in like major cities, for instance, um, who feel like, oh, I won't be able to live in a in the community I grew up in with my parents in this one major city, major metropolitan area. But if you are a non-woke person, or if you're someone who maybe has a concern about crime or the quality of life in some of these cities, I hate to burst your bubble, guys, but would you really want to continue to live in a, such a community where there are certain policies being put in place that just stop you? from advancing yourselves. Like, let's look at, by the way, I have a lot of great, wonderful friends who live in New York City and Manhattan. I live on Long Island. Uh, I, I I go to the city every now and then for business, for meetings, for politics, for atheism-related stuff. We'll continue to do so. There are great things about, you know, America's heritage in many of these, these cities. So I want to be respectful of that. But let's look at New York City. The crime rate is rising. There's so many different people in the culture wars that are blaming the mayor for you know, outlandish amount of problems. Sometimes the streets, they smell quite a little bit. The quality of life is going down. And yes, it is getting increasingly ridiculously expensive to buy an apartment in Manhattan. Um, and all of a sudden, some of these Zoomers are going, oh my God, I can't afford a home. You can't afford an apartment in a city that you're criticizing all the time on Twitter or X or Instagram anyways. Uh-huh. And you don't want to get a nice house for you to start a family somewhere else and maybe a safer, nicer area. Then you could get into the issue of, oh, well, Long Island is expensive. Yes, it is very expensive. That is a whole other thing where you guys can call me out being a hypocrite on that. Yes, you can. If you want to, you can. I will respect you for it. But Or like Westchester or New Jersey. Or, you know, the same can be said probably for many of other metropolitan areas and then the suburban towns and places outside of them. 
that is a broader discussion, but but a lot of these these issues of, of, of the prices being so expensive, a lot of them relate to major metropolitan areas. And we should either choose one lane or another as people in this kind of cultural fight. We should either, you know, go down this path of we want to live in these major metropolitan cities and we love them and we want to move to them. Or we're these conservatives who want to live in this 1950s cookie cutter suburbia and we love that. Pick a lane. We have to pick a lane or else we're going to look like hypocrites and we're not going to find an answer. And Joseph's going to have to keep inviting me on the show to say a lot of the same problems because we're not being consistent in our messaging. <laughs> well, always glad to have Tom on the show. So that's not a problem. But I, I, do oh, I love being on here. Yeah. <laughs> but that's my problem when it comes to Zoomers. I think they're absolutely right. I understand the emotional anguish. Uh, believe me, I'm, I'm not. Uh, you know, I'm not going to go into my financial background, but um, I, I want to continue to do better financially. I want to continue to go up and up and up. You know, I'm not in the multimillionaire category yet <laughs> by any means. Uh, I, I, I want to, uh, you know, you know, be this ultra capitalistic. Let's continue going up the chain. I, but I also understand. I also understand the, 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 the mental anguish that a lot of Zoomers are having, this kind of anger. Uh, but we also have to be logical. You know, we can't, We just like when it came to the social issues and the religion discussion that we had about Israel, we can't just like ditch logic because, oh, logic and reason, that was so like a meme 20 years ago. Uh, Let's just be totally raw and emotional and illogical because that's a cool thing to do now. Same thing with economics, guys. It doesn't matter if like a think tank that's only getting five views on their ad, you know, is saying an economic point that might not look cool to say, but your streamer is saying something based that's like totally fiscally out there and blah, blah, blah. Sometimes that think tank that may only get, gets five likes that's saying the, the capitalistic thing that they were saying five, 10 years ago, maybe they're right. And maybe there are some good populist talking points that are also right too, you know, but, but I'm seeing the same. And again, I'm not a financial expert. I'm not a fiscal expert. Anybody who has a degree in economics can look at the vocabulary I'm stating right now. And oh, okay. Thomas is coming out of left field when it comes to this. I'm coming at it from a political and culture war side guys. But I, I, I think that Zoomers have a long way to go before they can really solidify their messaging about their anguish because right now they're just all over the place. It's a gigantic cobweb where things are not consistent. Absolutely. And the same is true uh, to a large extent of millennials. Uh, and, you know, it's someone who very much uh, would like to climb the economic ladder. Unfortunately, I'm not a millionaire yet. Maybe one day we'll see. But uh, it's obvious that a lot of folks do things that are not wise when it comes to building wealth or putting themselves in a position where wealth can be built. And so they are sort of all over the place. And I think the Zoomers took this tendency among millennials and they just uh, came up with a more extreme form of it. Uh, and the millennials arguably took it from Gen X and they have a more extreme form of it. And arguably you could say Gen X uh, did not uh, learn well from uh, boomers. So, I mean, it goes on and yeah. on and on, this generational argument. Uh, the next item is interesting from Business Insider titled, As Gen Z Grows Up, Its Credit is Lagging Behind. Uh, let's see here. Why Gen Z's credit is falling behind. And the article was published two days ago. Your credit score is a three-digit, uh, blah, 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 blah. I'm not going to read that part of it. Uh, it's just giving you 
explanation for what a credit score is, uh, which is pretty uh, ridiculous. I'll go to a different part of the article that I think is more pertinent to the discussion. Generation Z is finding it harder to maintain good credit than older generations. This is due to inflation and higher levels of credit card debt and student loans. To build good credit, pay bills on time, keep your credit utilization low, and reduce your debt. I just have to add this. What a surprise. Getting back to the story. Today, many Generation Z members, generally classified as those born between 1997 and 2012, are struggling to keep their credit scores high. Factors like high inflation, student loans, higher interest rates, and slower wage growth are impacting Gen Zers' ability to make ends meet. This also makes it harder to use credit responsibly and structure long-term financial goals. Uh, obviously, you know, this is all uh, all true. Uh, and uh, if Gen Z does not build up its credit during its, you know, 20s, uh, it's not preparing itself well for life in its 30s or 40s. Uh, anything to say about this unique state of affairs, Tom? Because obviously, uh, as unfortunate as it might be, living on credit is a massive part of American uh, financial culture. And uh, if one's credit is lagging behind, it doesn't pretend well for the future. I don't think that America is going to change quite a lot when it comes to living on credit. I think that is going to stay uh, as, as far as I'll be able to live, probably. Um, however, I think there is a way for Zoomers and other Americans to do this responsibly. I'll, I'll give a plug for one person. You might know who he is, Justin. Um, uh, uh, Joseph. Uh, Justin uh, Bakula. Uh, he runs, he's, he's a part of Atheist for Liberty. He runs a great podcast called the Hurdy Gurdy Travel Podcast. You guys can find him on X at HG Travel Podcast. Again, that's HG Travel Podcast. He has a whole shtick where he helps our allies in the culture wars be better um, when it comes to developing personal uh, credit, um, engaging in fiscal responsibility, and uh, making sure that we're all you know living uh, our best lives when it comes to the benefits that we already get when it comes to credit cards and, and plenty of other uh, plenty of other things. Uh, he's not only helped myself, he's helped people like Peter Bogosian uh, and numerous other atheists and figures who want to uh, help other people in the nonprofit sector, but also make sure that they can live and benefit themselves on a personal level too. Uh, so I highly suggest um, people actually go check out Justin's podcast and content. Again, that's at HG Travel Podcast. Uh, he would be excellent when it comes to talking about uh, this very issue because he has mastered the credit card game. He has mastered the credit game uh, more than anybody else who I know in the professional world. Got it. I'm uh, no, glad you're able to bring that up because I've heard of him, but I, I've never for really much time. I will definitely out. Uh, I guess, you know, uh, but, but there are uh, much higher expectations among Zoomers and some millennials of participating in the gig economy, as it's called. And uh, there was an article, also a business insider, titled uh, Millennial and Gen Z Gig Workers Are Earning a Lot More Than Their Older Peers, published on October the 4th. Uh, this is fascinating because at least it shows one area that uh, millennials and Zoomers are coming out ahead of those who are older than them financially. I was actually rather surprised, but maybe I shouldn't have been. Anyway, the article says millennials are particularly attracted to gig work as their primary source of income. Many are taking di jobs as digital freelancers, rideshare drivers, and contractors. 
Gig work has been growing, but a still hot job market may pose some challenges. Uh, and I'll skip down a bit. A higher percentage of Gen Z and millennial workers are making 2,500 or more a month in gig work when compared to Gen X and baby boomers in similar positions. A new transunion study of nearly 1,000 adults found. 45% of Gen Z and 44% of millennials are making this amount monthly after, compared to 36% of millennials and 30% of boomers. Older generations were overrepresented among those earning less than $1,000 per month, given they were much less likely to know that gig work is their primary income source. Among those who use gig work as a primary income source, half are millennials. This was in contrast to 20% for Generation X and 5% for boomers, though these demographics expect gig work will play a larger role in supplementing their incomes in the future. So very, very interesting. Uh, it, 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 it really is. I mean, gig work is, however, unfortunately, given its instability, uh, the future of uh, America's economy to, uh, to a considerable degree. Uh, anything to say about this uh about this turn of events tom i think there's another factor that a lot of people are not considering um i, I might have mentioned this last time when i was on your stream um but a lot of zoomers and a lot of late millennials they saw the nine to five grind that their parents had to work in they saw that back in their parents days not everyone went to college and now everybody's going to college Everybody is going through the same system and everybody is sort of fearing becoming their parents. People don't want to work nine to five for the rest of their lives. They're seeing so many people make money and monetize their careers off of places like YouTube, X and Twitch and so many of these other different platforms. There's a massive, massive movement. I think the COVID-19 pandemic um, really highlighted this, uh, people who want to become financially free. Like Gra Graham Stephan on YouTube, like literally exploded because of people's desire to not want to work a traditional job. So I think that's why the the trend of, of gig work is going up uh, when it comes to younger generations um, compared to older generations who want stability, nine to five, 401k, um, you name it. So that trend is is only going to continue. I'm going to burst people's bubbles, though. And there are some good content creators that are that are actually doing a lot of great work when it comes to this. Uh, I watch a guy named Denmo uh, every now and then. He actually makes a lot of good content when it comes to some financial stuff and 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 being entrepreneurial. Not everybody, and Kevin O'Leary also from Shark Tank talks about this too. Not everybody is cut and, and fit to be an entrepreneur. Sometimes we really do just need employees. Sometimes we do need people to work the nine to five. And there are great ways that we can make the nine to five a little better. Um, but I think we should we should also we should be almost a little socially Darwinistic when it comes to this. We should detect who has the ability mm -hmm. to be an entrepreneur and do everything we can to give them the resources to live a healthy life where they get to be financially free and make sure that we give everybody else a great way to alleviate the pain and suffering that has come with the nine to five and constantly improve how we treat people in the workspace to allow people to have different options on working a job as an employee that fits for them. And Zoomers need to grow up and realize that. And I think we can. I think I think we are improving as a society when it comes to that area. And, you know, when it comes to the fiscal world where we can make both of those a reality. And the COVID-19 pandemic also showed us that, too. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, obviously not everybody is meant to be uh, an entrepreneur. It requires a certain sort of mentality, a certain personality type. And a lot of people think it's easier than doing the traditional nine to five deal. But that I, most certainly is not the case really just an expression of your lifestyle choice uh being an entrepreneur it shouldn't be something that you think is going to be less effort even doing something like content creation on youtube TikTok, uh the various podcasting platforms now twitter which calls itself x uh that takes a lot of effort uh, a lot of mental effort you're always thinking of new ways to find uh a, a means of marketing your uh your message uh and unfortunately yeah. a lot of people get lost along the way they wind up promoting things they don't believe in, which is terribly sad. That's where the effort, I'm not a spiritual person, obviously, but the saying, sell your soul, that's where that comes into play. So being an entrepreneur is is great. Society needs entrepreneurs, but also needs nine to five employees. Uh, the goal is to figure out what works best for them and then to build a life around this thing. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, I, think I, I think I lost you again. I might've. You'll probably unbuffer in like a few seconds. That's fine. Okay, I can see you now. Your video, your video and audio is good now. <laughs> Great. Sorry about that. Did you hear what I uh, said at all? Yeah, I think you mainly concluded that very similar to what I did. That, that what I said that like we need entrepreneurs. It, that's fantastic. It's bad when they grift, but we still like entrepreneurship in this country. But we also need people to work nine to fives too. If if that. I think you ended on exactly that. yes people okay. have to figure out what works best for them yep awesome yes yeah sorry about the buffering that's strange but it might have been uh might have been business no insider actually the website being up at the same time i was streaming here uh, yeah it happens unfortunately uh anyway uh then there is something that i think relates to everything we discussed as we begin to wind down the economic discussion uh it is about uh gen z property uh interest they're interested in owning uh real estate which it, it, yeah obviously you were mentioning this just before so this uh what you were talking about i was thinking to myself this is something uh <laughs> that's definitely going to come up in a few minutes and here it is this article is published in business report one week ago it is titled gen z revamps property game with tech savvy homes and communal living Generation yep. Z is reshaping the property market that they've only begun to enter. While millennials born between 1981 and 1996 have generally stuck to renting, Gen Z differs in that they believe property is worth the investment. To do so and confronted with challenges around property and affordability, people under 27 are willing to make do with smaller shared spaces. However, having grown up with technology, they prefer connected and automated homes. Furthermore, their heightened awareness of climate change means they value homes built from environmentally friendly materials. This means the market for those born 1996 to 2010 is fraught with challenges. That's all I'll read from here, but you get the idea of what the article was getting into. Uh, Tom, this is interesting because it sort of seems that Zoomers want the best of both worlds, living in a sort of eco-friendly, dare I say, politically correct sense, while having uh, traditional property ownership, which certainly did not come about through ecological friendliness or uh, a business climate. That's what we now call politically correct. If you look at how most people got themselves into a house that happened after World War II with the suburban uh, construction boom, and 
you know, obviously, if you still want to have as many people housed today as were housed back then, the methods would work fine enough today, but they do come at a cost. Yes. As they did back then, weren't well known until years later, and that's when the whole environmentally uh, conscious movement began. But Zoomers, it seems to me, uh, like I said, they want the best of both worlds, and I don't believe that's practical. Anything to say about the situation? I think that is fairly accurate. Uh, I'll give a sort of boomer answer when it comes to this, though. There, are, I've seen so many resources on TikTok and on YouTube when it comes to uh, people who are my age and kids who are even younger, kids that are 18, 19, 20 years old, knowing uh, you know the FHA loans that they can take out, um, knowing how to house hack, knowing how to get into all this stuff. Uh, I, I highly suggest people actually check out Graham Steppen's real estate journey. Um, how he, when he was, you know, a little younger than me, uh, during the 2008 financial crisis, um, took advantage of the housing, uh, of, of the housing issues, um, and, and renovated these properties and, and, and functioned and, and eventually became a millionaire himself through not only content creation, but all of his real estate success in the past. There are a lot of people that are doing the same exact thing. And, we were talking about generational differences. We're talking. We were talking about with the with the political correctness when it comes to religion. The boomers and the Gen Xers getting older. Eventually, as these people get older, unfortunately, this is just an unfortunate part of life. Those people are eventually going to pass away. Those people are eventually going to die. And what usually happens when older generations who held onto some of these houses for so many years die? If they're not given to family members. If they're not, you know. If, if they're not given to 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 those that they know and trust, they're going to go on the market and they're going to be renovated. The interiors are going to be renovated. And that is an opportunity in many cases for business to boom, for business to erupt, for new families and new generations of Americans to make a difference. And for kids who are smart, kids who take advantage of what's on their phones, to take advantage of the information that comes their way to make a, to make a successful future for themselves and their own families themselves. Yeah, it'll be very interesting to see how people uh, twist this to their own benefit. I hope that they do. I'm sure that they will. But I think it will entail some strategies that uh, even I cannot foresee. As a matter of fact, I'm pretty sure of that. Now, the last two items here are really, uh, I think, telling about some uh, deep issues going on among Zoomers with regard to the economy. Uh, the first article is published in Fortune. It's titled, Some Gen Z Women Are Rejecting the Corporate Ladder to Embrace Their Stay-at-Home Girlfriend or Wife Status as Aspirational. They're Hated and Admired. This was published today. In a TikTok video, Ashley Garcia thumbs through a fat stack of $20 bills from her boyfriend. She shoves it into her purse, saying, look how stuffed my bag was, before filming exactly how she spent that cash. At Zara, purchasing outfits for the boyfriend's upcoming trip on coffee, shopping at Sephora, and on food at Trader Joe's that she would later cook for the two of them. She ends the day walking her dog with her partner, and heading to hot yoga alone. That's all I did, she says with an audible smile. The comments are littered with women who, when not asking for recipes or where she got a pair of shoes, fawn over Garcia's dream life. Garcia, a self-proclaimed stay-at-home girlfriend, does not disabuse them of the notion. The term, alongside the similarly trending stay-at-home wife, 
refers to a woman, usually childless, maybe with a dog or two, who devotes her attention to her boyfriend or husband and their relationship. A handful of stay-at-home girlfriends or wives, many of whom are white and have a markedly religious bent, have racked up disbelief and attention from thousands of incensed commenters. TikTok videos with the hashtag stay-at-home-wife uh, have amassed 245 million views. Hashtag stay-at-home-girlfriend boasts nearly 290 million. The typical content is fairly narrow, riffing on the same handful of themes. Most are popular, most popular, excuse me, are the get ready with me, GRWMs, where the content creator brain dumps while applying concealer or day in my life, DIMLs, similar to Garcia's or Kendall K. Uh, K in one popular and well-documented video walks viewers through her day of domesticity, which includes journaling, making coffee and breakfast for her boyfriend, a long skincare routine, making the bed, doing laundry, and going to the gym with a slow and calm voiceover that seems to mimic the day's energy. Uh, and that's all I'll read from here, but you get the point of what's happening. So it's interesting. There is this sort of return to traditionalism among uh, Gen Z women. It's a rejection of uh, the sort of economic liberation brought about by feminism. But at the same time, as a man, uh, and even though I'm not a Zoomer, I'm a millennial, and I can certainly relate to uh, the, the Zoomer boyfriends of these gals, or maybe their boyfriends are millennials when you think about the economic power a guy would have to have. To have one of these gals as a girlfriend or a wife, uh, he probably would have to be earning for some time, which would make him a millennial, but there could be some Zoomers there, whatever. But the fact of the matter is, as a man, I, I think this is certainly a raw deal. Uh, I, it, it's, it seems basically that you ha it's almost like having a child that you subsidize except it's a girlfriend or a wife and traditionally you know she would be taking care of the kids but as was stated in the article these are childless people and i think it's reasonable that if there are two childless people in a relationship both of them would be finding some way to earn money uh i don't hate these women or, or admire them uh, i i think that what they're doing works for them but as a man, I definitely think it would not work for me. But it is fascinating because it definitely shows how there is uh, some change going on in the economy, just not what uh, <laughs> what a lot of people would have thought young women find interesting. Tom, anything to say about this? Yeah, so I, I'll take the po my positive remarks first. I think this is exactly what I mean when it comes to liking some things about traditionalism. These women made a choice. A conscious choice, not based on superstition, but based on what they want their gendered role in the relationship to be. They want to be stay-at-home girlfriends or wives. They want to have a life where, where maybe right now they'll they'll be childless, but maybe in a year or two or three years, they'll have children with their boyfriend or their husband or whatever partner that they are with. Um, that, I think, is totally okay. I am a totally fine with the idea of women who want to still be housewives, who still want to be home. Keyword is want, uh, you know, unlike the Islamic world. I am, I, this is, this is where like the, the kind of trad conservative message in the U S could really flourish to show its distinctions between how you can have that life in the West and how you don't have to, you know, uphold the barbarous barbarism or force or violence to have that lifestyle. Um, so I, I think that it, that is totally fine. Uh, I think personally for me, uh, I would, 
probably, this is just my take, uh, this is my personal view, as of October 8th, 2023, uh, it could change, my life could change in a year, two years to where my, my preferences could change. So keep in mind, this is just my personal preference, everybody. Um, if I were to, you know, live, uh, you know, with, with, um, uh, with, with a woman who I am seeing either my girlfriend or my wife or whoever, uh, I, I would preferably probably want her to make some kind of income or some kind of money if there were no children involved, because there's just such an influx of time. You might not even have to work a nine to five. I, I personally would be, would totally be fine being the one who works and does, you know, the majority of the, the income earning. Uh, I don't mind being that traditional male at all. In fact, in many ways, I personally prefer it. Again, me personally, with my own life. Um, but probably when, when children come around, I would, uh, I would also be totally fine with me doing all the income earning and having her just spend her time taking care of the children and taking care of the home. That is my, um, personal view. Uh, I don't really have too much of a stake. If you want to be a woman who understandably might make the argument of, I want to be a traditional housewife, but I'm living in this particular town or this particular state or this particular region or country or place in the world where both parties do have to work. I think that's unfortunate because I do think children do need parents who care or give them enough time during the day. Um, but I also respect the argument that some women make, you know, women who, you know, but this is not a leftist thing. It's not an ultra progressive thing um, who, who simultaneously might want to work uh, as well or, or feel like they need to work as well. Um, I think this is where this idea of being reasonable and allowing trad people to be trad people is a factor. This is this is my point, guys. You can have that this kind of best of both worlds, um, you know, without having to advocate. Sorry for going back into the social stuff and the religion stuff here, uh, but going back to all oh, we need Islamic barbarism, or else women aren't going to come back into the home. Well, if you want a woman to come back into the home, find a woman in this population of millions upon millions of Americans and a buzzling movement of women who want to do that to do that. And if you want to be a man. And you want to you be this guy who's doing a lot to make money and to make something of himself, do that. Especially if you're in the ages of 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, or even, even into your latter 20s, you're not even in your 30s yet. In my view, you're not even in your prime yet as a man. Make that money and make yourself that guy who wants to have a woman who wants to stay home consensually. Do that. It is still possible. Yes, there are hardships. We were just taught, Joseph and I, everybody, were just talking about a lot of these hardships. Joseph brought up a lot of great points and, and, and statistics and articles here. Um, but I, I think personal responsibility, this boomer statement of, you know, pull yourselves up by your bootstraps also comes into effect. If you're a young person, you don't have any responsibilities, you don't have a partner or a wife or children that you have to take care of, become that person that you want to be in the age of the internet. Become that person who makes that money and get yourself this, this trad girlfriend or trad wife that you want if you want her to stay in the home. If, yeah, people want it, they have to pursue yeah. it. And I think that's If that, people that, want to pursue it. Yeah, exactly. I think that's great advice. Uh, now, the last item uh, relates to, I guess you could say, discontent that Zoomers have with what's going on. And needless to mention, that relates to the economy. It's an article published two days ago from Global Data titled Gen Z, A Growing Appetite for Escapist Entertainment. 
And I'll skip down to, I think, the most relevant part of the article. Technology is at the heart of entertainment for Gen Zers. They demand immersive experiences in shopping, working, and schooling. And those things are also vital to their entertainment. Gaming, esports, and the metaverse offer this demographic not only the ideal gameplay experience, but a virtual escape. And these trends have intensified since the pandemic. Overall, the gaming software market will be worth $470 billion by 2030, with mobile gaming being the most dominant segment, accounting for more than 50% of global gaming software revenues by 2030. Video games like Fortnite, Minecraft, and Among Us are especially popular with Generation Z, as is the practice of streaming and watching gameplay on platforms like Twitch and YouTube. Thousands of people watch esports and stadiums, while millions watch on streaming platforms. Meanwhile, the gaming metaverse involves communities built on highly engaging content. Video game publishers, device makers, and brands from different sectors increasingly invest in esports to attract young consumers, especially Gen Zers. This popularity of gaming among Gen Z will naturally transition into metaverse applications as Gen Zers demand an increased connection between your physical and virtual worlds. The metaverse is currently experiencing a difficult winter in which the entire concept is being criticized, but it could still be a transformative technology theme. The movement towards an increasingly interconnected world will not slow down and is especially demanded by Gen Z, the digital first generation. That's all I'll read. Now, this is something else because it says that Zoomers are basically so uh, ill at ease in the real world, they have to take to the virtual world. And the metaverse is, you know, the, 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 the fields on which this virtual world will play itself out. Uh, anything right. to say about this, Tom? What, do you think this is reflective of where Zoomers stand? What do you think is going on here? Because this is obviously consequential uh, in a host of ways beyond the economy during the years to come. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a very good question, Joseph. So um, I am somebody who can speak very much from experience when it comes to this topic. I won't go into too many specific details, but I was one of these early Gen Z guys who got very much addicted to video games. Uh, I played this one game. I won't even say what the game was. I played for 10 years. Got a, nearly 10 years. I got very much addicted to this one game where I was in my own virtual world. And uh, I still had some uh, real life priorities, of course, that I prioritize. I was still very much getting into my career, getting into politics. But <clears throat> I ended up telling a lot of my, uh, I had a lot of followers on this game too. I ended up telling a lot of them that I wasted a lot of time that I could have used to make money, that I could have used to better my social skills, to better my life, to better my relationships with people, uh, to better my career, to better my education. And instead, I used a, a decent chunk of my time uh towards this particular game uh i think it's different as well when it comes to certain demographics i think uh young women uh, are probably a lot uh, less addicted to something like the metaverse or something like minecraft or in these other things or among us uh in comparison to men uh and i think there are a lot we're, we're seeing a massive massive gender divide happen now where we're uh, this is becoming a, a total problem. So for any of the guys that are watching, you know, if you want to be the so-called trad man who wants to make enough money to, to, to buy a home and to be this guy that you want to be, 
uh, for the vast majority of you, not all of you, uh, you do have to make a decision as to what you want to focus on. Do you want to be addicted to something that does not uh, make anything ROI positive for you? Uh, or uh, do you want to engage in the hard work now so you can have the leisure later on? Uh, of course, this does not apply in my view, to Twitch streamers or to people who stream on YouTube or other gaming platforms where they'll make money, lots and lots of money, uh, by uh, playing these games but also streaming it. You know, that's your way to make money, to make yourself successful. That's different. But there are some people who get no money, no real experience, who just suck themselves into this, this world from the atheist perspective in a life that you only live once. You're wasting it. On, on, on things that don't actually really genuinely matter. And I think there is going to be a lot of great benefits to technology. There have been wonderful benefits that we've faced as a species that, that have been unpredictable. Really, ever since the creation of the iPhone in 2007, it's just been absolutely phenomenally awesome in so many great ways for our species and for our civilization. But there have also been some negative consequences. Guys, don't become socially awkward people that just get addicted to games that don't even earn you cash. Be smart about this. You want to play games, play games. You know, you don't have to always grind all the time. You can have a bit of a life too and relax, but set boundaries for yourself and be smart about this. You want to level up in real life, not in the game. Absolutely. Uh, it, it's it's hard to, to tell people to do it because of the of the prevalence of virtual reality nowadays. Yeah, I sound like a grandpa. It, it has to be done, <laughs> a balance virtual reality in the real world. <laughs> yeah. No, 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 it's fine. But or, or, or doing something like on social media that relates to reality, but that's, you know, that's commenting on uh, current events, whatever. Uh, but people do get sucked into video games or the metaverse, which, you know, it hasn't been all it's cracked up to. It, it was not what people thought it would be in terms of its uh, market share. But certainly among Zoomers, I think it has massive uh, staying power and it will grow as time passes. I certainly don't think that Zuckerberg was, uh, was someone who uh, did something that was a waste of time and from his business perspective. Sure. Uh, but I, I think that people really do have to, at some point, determine what they want out of life. And if it's going to be a life lived among other people, which has pinnacles and pitfalls, it's certainly nothing that's standing 100% of the time, uh, or if it's going to be a life lived, uh, you know, behind an avatar in a game or in the metaverse or on social media, blah. people have to choose what they want. Some people will go for a hybrid of the two, but I think people tend to gravitate more towards one or the other. And uh, some people will find that virtual reality more satisfying than actual reality. But uh, over the long run, that probably will cost them because of a lack of relationships when they're older and they're more in need of other people. And, uh, you know, uh, if you've just been this avatar for all these years doing X, Y, and Z uh, with a pseudonym, it's it's not going to be very rewarding in the end, even though it might have been more rewarded for you than the real world, uh, generally speaking, during the course of all those years. Anything to say about that or anything uh, pertaining to this subject? Yeah. Yeah. So, so like I said, I was, I was one of these, oh, I think I lost you there for a second. I'm just waiting a moment for you to buffer out. 
Okay, cool. You're buffered out. Okay, Sorry. so uh, no, no worries. Um, so, so guys, you know, for any Zoomer guys, Zoomer, Zoomer ladies and gentlemen who have who have you know been watching this, heed from me. Uh, listen to what I'm going to say because I was one of these avatars. I was one of these avatar leaders. Uh, you know, for, for a very long time, I got in, I, I got into a lot of that stuff when, when these kind of virtual worlds were really popping up and I got super addicted to them and, and, and I was responsible for really thousands oh. of people and thousands of users that, that, that looked up to me and followed me kind of a cult of personality to a degree. Um, so a lot of it for all, most of you is going to be a waste of time. You're not going to learn actual skills. You're not going to actually make any money. You're not going to do things that benefit yourself, that benefit your resume, that benefits your ability to like date people, uh, form meaningful relationships, uh, earn money, uh, you know, get your make yourself actually financially capable to live a better life, a more leveled up life than you could ever get in a, in, in these kind of games. Um, you know, I I wasted, I wasted a lot of time. There are some things, I'm, I'm 25 years old now. I was born in 98. There are some things that I'm only beginning to experience now, not in terms of like relationships and stuff, but like certain things financially and other things that I should have started experiencing at 16, 17, 18, and 19 years old that I'm only starting to experience now. A lot of these real world waking up moments are only occurring to me and depending on what they are right now. That should be all of you at 16, 17, 18, 19, not 25. And uh, I have a lot more time still. I'm still 25 is still very young in the grand scheme of a human lifespan. Um, but I live with that regret because in many ways, I prioritized a game over real life. Don't be me. Be me now when you're 16. <laughs> Don't be me in the game. It's a waste of time. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, it, it's a cultural thing uh, to, to, to have such emphasis on virtual reality uh, that people just basically lose track of, uh, one might say, traditional or actual reality, and they don't even realize it. And it's hard when, for me to blame people who grew up surrounded by VR in its various forms that they become so sucked into it. Uh, I, I only would blame them when uh, they basically realize that something is wrong and they don't do something to change it. But for a lot of people, to, for them to realize that something is wrong, that that takes it's like moving a mountain in and of itself. And this isn't to say that all video games are bad. I'm not. Uh, when I was very young, that was you know a big thing. Video games are going to be the end of you know uh, civilized youth. Uh, there was this whole push in Congress and with Tipper Gore. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, it, 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 it was something else, definitely something uh, over the top. But mm -hmm. uh, so I'm not going down that road. But what I will say is that when people grow up surrounded by VR, when you have people who really only know life with laptops and uh, tablets and smartphones, uh, you know, to see them wasting their lives with virtual reality stuff, it's sad, but a lot yeah. of them just don't know any better. And uh, the goal is to basically to get them to realize that there is something else they should be doing. Even if it doesn't provide the same emotional benefit now, over the long run, it will probably be beneficial for them to focus on the real world to a meaningful extent. Uh, but, you know, once again, just getting people to that point of realization is not an easy thing, particularly in this day and age. 
Yeah, most definitely. Up. Oh. Nope. Okay, I didn't lose you. Okay, I still have you. Good. Oh, I'm sorry, Tom. Did you get what I said? But I did. Sorry, did you get what I said before? I think I might have cut out. I, I think I I think I got most of it. Excellent. Yeah, it's 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 something else, really. Sure. No, go ahead, please. No, I was I was just waiting for 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 us to continue after that. Got it. Uh, so yeah, so that, that that's my take on VR and people who who get uh, who get sucked into it. I have a very nuanced uh, position on it. Now, uh, as we unfortunately do wind things down here uh, tonight, I mean, it has been a great conversation as I knew it would be, but all good things must come to an end. Uh, now, I really think that the GOP has to find some economic message to present to Zoomers that they would think is worth their while. Uh, do you have any idea as to what that might entail? I mean, obviously you can go a thousand different ways with this, but is there anything that really jumps out to you about what the GOP could be or should be doing now? Uh, if people in politics could get more into the fire movement, the financial freedom movement, I think that is a great start. I think too many of them are not. They are still sticking with the 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 nine to five grind set uh, messaging of the baby boomer generation. And again, we need nine to fivers. We need to improve the nine to five environment. Not everybody's going to be an entrepreneur. Not everybody's going to be this magical kid who starts a business mm -hmm. and yada yada yada. I think that is a fantasy. But I think if we if if people in politics and politicos were smart, uh, they would they would get into that kind of financial mm -hmm. freedom movement right here right now. Because so many people right now in the economic grind sphere of wanting to be financially free, wanting to have a different life, uh, if they started paying attention uh, you know, to how they voted, just like how they invested, politics would be way more interesting than it is now. I think we might be having technical difficulties again. I don't know. <laughs> but yeah. Oh, I, I, I heard you know you're saying politics would be good. But no, I, I did. Uh, I, I, I did hear uh, what you were saying. I believe you said that politics would be very different if people paid attention to it uh, in the same way that they paid attention to their financial strategies. And they basically made yes. a connection between the two. Yes. I think there are some people who just stick so much into the financial freedom and economic mindset. They don't touch politics with a 10 foot pole where like yeah, th those people don't even have to touch too many of the social issues. But if they started like thinking of who they want to vote for, Republican or Democrat or Libertarian or whatever you want to vote, however you want to vote, guys, you know, in the, from a U.S. context, um, for, from a perspective that financially benefits them, either local, state or federal, um, I think we would have a much better politics right now in this country. I agree entirely. I uh, really, you know, I hope this happens. Obviously, it'll take a lot of time for people to get there psychologically. But uh, yeah. I think it would be a welcome development 
beyond question. Uh, and, you know, despite the uh, few tech glitches, it's been an outstanding conversation. Tom, I hope that the tech problems won't keep you away from returning to the show. I will absolutely come back. I love coming back on here. It's, it's always more entertaining, and we always get to, like, brag about the same things that people need to understand and get in their freaking heads. So I really appreciate it. Um, and not only that, the staff and team at Atheists for Liberty definitely appreciates you. Um, I want to do what I can to still help you out. And I really appreciate all of your help for supporting us online on social media. Um, guys, we got a lot of great stuff going on at AFL. So uh, I'm the president of Atheists for Liberty. Uh, I put in my tag here on StreamYard. Uh, you can find me at Sheedy Tom on X, aka Twitter, uh, and Atheists for Liberty at Atheists Liberty. Go ahead and follow myself, AFL, and Joseph Ford Cotto's uh, account here. Um, we have a streaming series on YouTube. We're doing a college tour right now. We are creating a new atheist movement in this country that is reactionary and that is Zoomer friendly. And guys, if anyone wants to become a member, hang out with us on Discord or be a part of our movement on the grassroots, you can join Atheists for Liberty at atheistsforliberty.org. That's at atheistsforliberty.org. And if you want to become a member, upgrade your membership, or just give a donation, thanks to our advisory board chair, David Silverman, we're having the David Silverman donor match going on right now, where all contributions are going to be doubled till December 31st. Again, all contributions up to $10,000 are going to be matched by... Uh, until December 31st. We're in giving season right now, guys. So if you want to join our movement, be a part of the team with people like Joseph, people like myself, where we're trying to really communicate to people that secularism and reason and clinging on to the enlightenment is the way to go, regardless of how the culture wars go, is the way. Join us at Atheists for Liberty and help us make a difference. Uh, Atheist for Liberty is making a difference, and I'm very glad to be on its advisory board. And obviously, I wish the organization great success during the years to come. I think it will have it. Uh, it's just, you know, as with anything else, waiting out some unfortunate trends. But uh, that is part of life. What are you going to do? Uh, anyway, Tom, thank you very much for stopping by tonight. Looking forward to our next conversation. I hope that everyone enjoyed this discussion as much as Tom and myself did uh and uh cheers to everyone for having tuned in please stay safe and be well